Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about a new movie every week. But this week on the show, we're talking about the controversial fruit-based review aggregator, Rotten Tomatoes. Tomato, 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 I'm throwing tomatoes. I'm your host, Corbin's Vocal. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Cody Webb. Cody, how are we doing today? Doing great, man. Excited to be back for the, another episode. Uh, yeah, I think we're exploring, you know, an interesting topic in my, that, my eyes today. You know, tomato, tomato, uh, pretty much the only fruit I don't like. So, yeah, going to be a fun one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear it. We're going to get into Rotten Tomatoes. This is a huge episode for that. But I feel like we have to talk about the Oscars first. So if you don't want to hear Oscars talk, you can skip ahead to our next segment. But for now, the Oscars were this past Sunday. Historically, the biggest night in movies. Cody, is it still the biggest night in movies? And what were your first thoughts outside of a certain event? Give me your initial thoughts. We'll, we'll get to the, to the obvious in a second. But is it still the biggest night in movies? And what are your initial thoughts? Um, I mean, I guess it is the biggest night in movies by default. Um, but... I think this year's Oscars was a success for the most part, um, other than, you know, some obvious things. But, I mean, in general, I thought it was actually the, one of the better Oscars, other than, if you take that out, for the past couple of years. Um, I think the Best Picture winner and some of the, uh, like, winners were, so, like, super powerful and, and super cool. So, I was a big fan of the show. Obviously, there was a glaring thing on it, but, I mean, Coda winning was sick. Best supporting actor was sick. I mean, just just all around, I think the experience as well was much better than last year because of where it was located, first off. Um, and I, I didn't mind the hosts, if I'm being honest. Amy Schumer, she's iffy. Um, I really like Wanda Sykes. I don't know why, but she's always been one of my favorite comedians. And I thought Regina Hall was funny. Or Regina King, whatever. Whatever. What's her name? Hall? King? Regina Hall. Regina Hall. Yeah, I, was right, I was right the first time. But um, – yeah, I enjoyed the show, and I feel like most of the awards were, were given to the right things, if I'm being honest. Obviously, we picked a you know, prediction for, for these, and I did get most of them wrong. But I think in the long run, it was probably the right choices. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was actually pretty successful Oscars. What, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, I think it's definitely, I agree, it's better than last year. I think you just get a bunch of famous people in a room, even those ones that like aren't nominated for anything. It's just cool to see all these like, you know, celebrities in one place. I think there's a little bit of fanfare. Um, definitely some issues. I think the exclusion of the live telecasts of the awards for the most part was a shameful thing for them to do. Uh, <laughs> particularly ones like best or original score and editing. Like those are huge awards to just like completely brush aside the short film ones you know whatever if you don't want to broadcast those that's fine because this is about feature length films at the end of the day uh but i think it's just absolutely shameful that they didn't do a live telecast i think the way they integrated the, them into the show wasn't awful we still at least got to see the winners in the broadcast and um it just sucks that i also got to see them announced by journalists on twitter an hour before the show was supposed to start um especially considering that this show ended up being longer than last year's despite them cutting those awards it's like if if you look at the show was it really worth it probably not like they could have you know maybe cut one of the two Encanto songs they did and uh yeah. you know shorten things up a little bit uh 
in memoriam was fine uh i think the general awards all went in 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 the about the right direction i don't think there was any like oh the academy really messed up listen i think dune was the best movie of last year but i'm perfectly fine with coda getting a win uh i think the main problem people have with a lot of these movies is just or with coda specifically in comparison to a lot of the movies is it's like it's a pretty it's accessible. Everybody loves it. It's a family drama. It's t- heartwarming. It's touching, but maybe it's not like the highest class piece of art ever. Um, when you look at it in comparison to movies like Drive My Car, Dune, Power of the Dog, maybe not Dune as much, but Power of the Dog and Drive My Car, especially. Um, maybe if you look at which one is purely a better work of, of movie, of, of movie making, filmmaking, which one was the best, maybe Coda isn't the best but i think it's the one that can appeal to the widest audience it's the one that at the end of the day is a feel-good story and you know what are very rough times right now so it's cool to see it win it's not a movie that would probably have won in the past it's a different kind of winner um but it it maybe kind of points to the direction the oscars are heading uh now yeah uh just a uh glance off that slightly um i don't know i think i think coda is deserving obviously i haven't seen it (laughs) but I think this was a bit of a down year for movies. I think this is probably one of the, I'd say if we go for the rest of the decade, Coda's probably eighth, ninth, tenth for what the best picture winner is going to be. Um, it's definitely, yeah, definitely not one of the best big best picture winners we've ever had. But right. I don't know if any of these movies would have been. I don't think there. Dune deserved best picture at all, if I'm being honest. But that obviously we all have our own opinions. But um, you know, I was happy to see coda win it is like you said a a different type of movie winning for once and i enjoy that i mean i feel like the power of the dog was the easy choice but um they went somewhere different i i really like that i think maybe the oscars in a sense is changing a little bit just based off of a lot of the winners this year and i have you know no qualms about that at all so yeah i i get where you're coming from like i said i don't know if this is the best year of movies so if you're gonna give it like a movie like coda this is the year to do it first streaming movie ever cody do you think that's a big (laughs) deal i really don't because i mean for me it was between that and the power of the dog and they're both streaming movies i think that's just the way of the world right now and uh you know if you're gonna be mr francis ford coppola who wasn't in attendance uh you know anti-streaming anti you know comic book you know whatever you're probably 80 Nobody really cares about your opinion, but uh, <laughs> it's just the way of the world, man. Like, not everything can be accessible to theaters anymore, and I don't think it's a bad thing at all. But yeah, no, I I think it's very awesome that streaming finally got one. I uh, kind of feel bad for Netflix because this was definitely a good year for them to finally that, win. That's what but, I want to kind of pivot here. Yeah, Netflix trying, trying so desperately, <laughs> trying, and then Apple TV comes in, which in the streaming world is an underdog, but obviously Apple as a corporation is not an underdog by any means. It's not like you're really rooting for the underdog in this case. However, here's a fact for you. Mm-hmm. The Irishman, uh, which was 2019's Netflix big movie last year, Mank for 2020. And then the power of the dog this year, heavily nominated movies. Uh, think what you think about them, but listen, that's Martin Scorsese. It's uh, David Fincher and it's Jane Campion putting out movies for a streamer that uh you know were celebrated the oscars however of their 32 combined nominations three wins yeah that's so, that was the <sighs> yeah no sorry i thought that was the big story 
of just the winners was um, The Power of a Dog only getting one Oscar. It was Best Director, to be fair, which is a massive one. But, I mean, for all of those nominations and only to take away one, I thought that was pretty telling from, you know, the, the respect the Academy had for it, but at the same time, um, sort of putting it in its place, I thought. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, just to preface this, um, when it happened live, um, I really did not think it was real at all. But, we both so we both did get to witness this movie or this moment live. Probably <laughs> few people to see it live. Uh, I'm sure there was not a lot of people tuned into the Oscars, but yeah. uh, especially at the, like the timing of when it happened wasn't necessarily like before anything super huge. Um, what did Chris Rock end up even introing? I can't. Um, I believe it was uh, best documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Questlove came up right after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a really cool speech i thought from myself, yeah but definitely overshadowed and the thing that i thought was you know sort of the giveaway of you know well i mean there's a couple of giveaways but when <laughs> i was watching it the first time i was like okay it's a joke like chris Mock made a joke will smith's just gonna come up you know give him a little hug and then uh, there was no sound <laughs> Yeah, that was the big thing. They got out the sound, and you could just hear, you could see Will Smith mouthing very clearly what he's mouthing. And I said, oh, no, no, what is going on? But um, absolute chaos, man. I I could not believe what I had witnessed, and um, Twitter did not either. I mean, it was a, it was a firestorm last night, what I witnessed. But T- I Twitter's think- not giving up. We are 24 hours later and we're still going strong. Deservedly so. But the ironic thing is um, Will Smith then goes on to win best best like act. 20 minutes later. Which is such an, a crazy honor for Will Smith, I think. And I think well-deserved as well. But the irony of it is it, it, it's drastic. But, I mean, yeah, in general, what do you think about the whole situation? I, I don't know what to think about it. Okay, so I I don't it's not our place. And I don't think we should like get into like whether or not Will Smith should or should not have hit Chris rock. Right. Uh, and also like, I think it's probably fair to say like, it was a, it was an illy, it was an ill joke. It was a bad joke. Yeah. Whether or not you think it's funny, whatever, I don't care. It probably wasn't a great joke. Um, and then there was a reaction made and I listen, he was defending his wife. Maybe his wife hasn't always defended him well in the past. However, you also have, you know, so many black women are, are made the butt of jokes in, in modern society and in throughout history. So there's those cultural repercussions of, you know, a man not standing up there. There's so much, and there's so many layers and there's been so much Twitter discourse and so much comment. And I'm not here for that right now. Like, I don't want to do that. No. Uh, just an insane moment. Like yeah. you talk about like the Oscars that are dying and no one's watching them. No one's cared more this much about the Oscars in years. Yeah, <laughs> this is net positive. At the end of the day, this is good for the show. Uh, it's just an insane situation. I, I agree. When it happened, the slap, you're like, "Oh, that's weird." I guess it's probably staged. But then this audio cuts out, and then they cut to Will Smith mouthing those words, like you said. And I'm texting you. I'm texting Carter and Jackson. I'm like, "What the hell is happening?" Getting on Twitter, trying to like just see people's reactions. Like this can't be. And then like Chris Rock right after as well is has no idea what to say. He's absolutely yeah. stunned with it. And uh, it, it seems to that it was true, in fact, and it was not staged, which is crazy. Uh, 
I think Will Smith's speech was really good. And I think given the circumstances outside of maybe an apology to Chris Rock himself, whether or not he deserves it, uh, there was no apology to Chris Rock. There was an apology to the Academy and to the other nominees. However, I think the way he handled it and kind of the way he was able to integrate it into the win and the character uh, was decent. What are your thoughts on that, Cody? What do you think of his speech? I thought it was good. I thought it was a little long. A little teary. He he yeah. definitely was just like flustered. He oh yeah. He was he, grasping. He threw the notes away a hundred percent. Um, but I liked the speech. I mean, it was it was super raw, super emotional, and I think something he deserved to just you know go up and spill his guts out for five minutes. And it's something I watched back, and you know, he actually does make a lot of decent points. Um, but yeah, I I think it's <laughs> pretty funny as well that. Like, this is a bigger story than, you know, them saying the wrong Best Picture winner. This is massive. Like, this is the best thing to happen to the Oscars. This is the best thing to happen to Chris Rock in, in like, 20 years. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but his, like, stand-up uh, tickets, their prices have skyrocketed. <laughs> but overall, you know, not a good situation, really, for anybody involved. And, you know being in the internet culture that we are in it's hard to take a step back and you know actually see where you know will smith's coming from and he has a complicated relationship and you know everything you're talking about as well is it's all thrown in and it's all mixed up and you know he's on the biggest stage and he's going to get the biggest award of his career there's a lot going through this guy's head and at the end of the day i think he just wants to defend his wife so i mean will smith say what you will about him i back 100 i thought that was a very good speech and I think he did deserve best actor, but I mean, the and shout out to Denzel as well. In yeah, this, in the situation, I thought that was really cool. That moment always, always shout out to Denzel. I mean, that guy is the class act of Hollywood, one of the best. But I mean, yeah, crazy situation. I don't think next year they're gonna be able to top that. But here's uh, what I, here's what I want to say. Really, I think, is. I think viewerships will go up next year, though. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think viewership. I haven't heard the official numbers, but I'm sure it was up from last year. Last year was a record low, and it was just yeah. a shitty situation. Um, much worse people have won Oscars than Will Smith. Yeah, and they mentioned despite uh, they Will mentioned doing Harvey anything. Weinstein. Harvey yeah. Weinstein, 81 yeah. Oscar wins. Ridiculous. Terrible person. Yeah. Uh, plenty of other people. There was a moment, and this is something that was shared prior to the ceremony. I when uh. Marlon Brando won his Oscar for The Godfather. He had a Native American woman come up and not even accept his award for him, decline the award for him, and then talk about how Native American peoples were mistreated on Hollywood sets for years and, and their culture was made a joke of. And they were, there was violence against Native Americans and proper improper play and all this terrible stuff. And in that Oscars, they were holding John Wayne back because he was trying yeah. to go up there and fight her. There's like six security officers. No, so not the worst thing to ever happen at the Oscars, no. and not the worst person to ever be involved in the Oscars by any means. No. Uh, in 2000, oh, I don't know the exact year, but the year that the pianist won, Adrian Brody, uh, that movie is made by a rapist who was on the run from the U.S. government at the time the movie was made. Roman Polanski won Best Director in 2002 really? when he was out of the country because he was not allowed to come back to the United States because he would be arrested and convicted for raping someone. And he won Best Director 
like 15 years after that happened. It wasn't like, oh, allegations were new. Terrible people have won Oscars. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Um, I don't think anywhere near the like the lowest point of Hollywood or, or the Oscars in general. They've been pretty low for a while. But I mean, on entertainment value, it's got to be. Up it, there. It's good stuff. Final, final things I'll say. Uh, I agree. I think the Quest Love speech was pretty solid. Troy Kotzer was also great. I think probably yeah. my favorite speech of the night. That was 100%, I think, the best moment of the night. Um, Ryusi Hamiguchi getting cut off and not getting to finish his speech, probably one of my least favorite moments of the night. Uh, it really sucked. That I think everybody got a really good opportunity to speak, and I think just yeah. because of the language barrier, they were kind of screwing him over, and it was fucked up. I thought that was weird because they pretty much let everybody else go on for as long as they would want, which I like. I think in past years, they have cut off people pretty consistently but i mean at this point i don't know why they would just cut him off and then let everybody else have their spiel so i thought that was weird jane campion's speech was was fine she got the pre-written she came prepared uh she had she'd kind of made some comments she's won a lot of things recently i think there was a speech she had where she kind of didn't quite say the right words about venus and serena williams she kind of misphrased what she was trying to say so it was good she came with the pre-written she was she was well prepared she wasn't going to misspeak this time um Ariana DeVos was fine. I think that was, I, I mean, it was cool. The The queer stuff was awesome. Um, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. I mean, nothing super memorable there. You know, I like that movie a lot, but his speech wasn't anything special. Yeah. Any other thoughts on speeches or anything? I think we covered most of it. Yeah, I, I liked Ariana DeVos' speech as well. A good Kickstarter to the broadcast, I thought. And um, yeah, Jane Campion, I was kind of expecting a little bit more, but I, I definitely deserved a win for her, I think. And and hopefully, um, I, I'm honestly just excited to see what she does next. I think she's a top tier director working today. Yeah, I mean, it had been like, so it yeah. had been a decade since she had made her last movie. So it's hard to say yeah. uh, when she will make her next after this. But I think the big theme when you all the lower categories, editing, score, visual effects, um, cinematography, production design, that were all won by Dune. Yeah. It was so clear when they were giving their speeches. So much thanks given to Denis. Very clear that they're they could not have done it without him. I think it's really tough that he couldn't, you know, edge in as like that fifth best director uh, nomination. I think it's really absurd that he didn't get one. But you know, it's a tough. You know, when you're going against Spielberg, is probably the person that needs to get left out of that group. It's tough. That is tough. Yeah, I thought it was funny how basically every award that dune won one of the first words out of their mouths were thank you denis 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 100 <laughs> they're like i think right. it was very intentional for sure but yeah when we win an award i mean this guy got hosed and best director we're gonna make sure the academy knows it and i mean they got their point across i thought that was pretty funny but yeah i mean spielberg denis i mean i haven't seen west side story and dune's all right but i would still probably take you know take denis but that's just me yeah okay i think that's enough of our oscars talk we got it out of our system uh we'll never we'll never talk about the oscars again let's move on to ron tomatoes you know some people say the academy awards is a uh, an honor to have for your movie but i'll tell you what being certified fresh on rotten tomatoes now that is the (laughs) test of a true movie (laughs) what do you think about that statement cody are are you pro rotten tomatoes or you anti let's get into it initial thoughts takes just hit us with us where do you stand on rotten tomatoes I actually kind of like Rotten Tomatoes, which is probably um, a different take than you. But, I mean, in general, I I think it's a a decent source for 
just like figuring out, oh, is this movie good? Is this movie bad? Because that is what Rotten Tomatoes is. It's fresh or it's not fresh or certified fresh. I mean, whatever. There, you can go into the details of it, but the gist of how it works is, is this movie good? Is this movie bad? That's it. That's all you need to know. And for that source, I mean, if you know, like, that is the source and you don't go by, like, the percentage and the numbers and stuff, I think it can be fun. You know, the the app that they have for it, not even a good app, pretty shit app. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is decent for IMDb stuff, looking up actors, looking up movies, looking up directors. Um, but, I mean, in general, I kind of like Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's a fun, you know, place where you can just go and, and see, like, I also like to see the difference between the critic scores and the audience scores. I always think that's kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, it's something I do. Um, I, I do use it occasionally. I mean, obviously if you've seen the show in the past, uh, some of our uh, like trivia and stuff has been based around Rotten Tomatoes. Did a whole draft category about it. Exactly. Exactly. So it's definitely something I, you know, use and I would probably recommend, but hundred percent you need to know like what it stands for and everything. Cause it, it is a bit confusing. What are your initial thoughts? On so that? I think that's the main thing. I think in using it, if you understand like what it means when you hear it, and I, I'm not trying to do this, like, oh, I'm better than you. And like, I'm smart. And I, right. I understand Rotten Tomatoes. But like, that's kind of like, I think it's often misunderstood. Would you agree? Yeah. Most people I don't. I do agree. Because people assume while, you see, the, yeah, you see the percentage and you think, oh, this is a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. That means it's a 72 out of 100, which is not what it means. Um and I'm going to get into in a second exactly how these scores are tabulated. I have a whole little lesson for, for all the people out there. But um, I think you just want to, if you understand like what exactly it means, I think it can be a great source for quickly looking at a movie. Hey, should I see this? Mm, yes, no, maybe not. I think it can be a really good source for that. Um, when it comes to like knowing like how good is a movie or how bad is a movie, I think I, I turn to other sites and sources um, to kind of do those things. Let's get into how the Rotten Tomatoes score is formed. Go for it, Teach. So <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes has about 3,000 critics in total. And I want to say I did get some of this information from Studio Binder as well as a, a Vox article um, and from Rotten Tomatoes' own website. So just giving credits to, to the sources of that. Um, they have the these critics and they're approved tomato meter critics. Not just anybody can be a critic. You have to be a critic. You have to have been publishing for two years consistently. They have to be actively publishing, meaning that they've published something, at least one of those reviews in the last year as well. Um, there's also a subset of critics that is a top critic and they get a separate score that you can then go and look at whatever. Um, not every other 3000 critics, obviously not every single critic reviews every film. Um, so usually it's a few hundred critics per film or sometimes even less for other films. Some people go about it. They upload their own reviews. Hey, I'm a staffer. I'm a critic. I'm going to go ahead and take the time to upload my own review to Rotten Tomatoes and to other sources. Some people even pull specific quotes out for them, designate it. Hey, this is a fresh review. This is a rotten review. Um, but so, a lot of people, they just upload it. It gets pull quoted and tagged as fresh or rotten by Rotten Tomatoes. So they look at a review. Does this review think this movie is good or bad? If they think it's good, we're going to give it a fresh. If they think it's bad, it's rotten. And that's literally all they do. They pull a quote out that maybe summarizes their thoughts. And then they say it's fresh or rotten. If they don't know whether or not to tag it, then sometimes they reach out to the critic. Hey, we read your review. We're not quite sure where you stand. Would you give it fresh or rotten? They clarify. Um, sometimes there's uh, a review might get uploaded, Rotten Tomato tags it as fresh 
and the reviewer might say, well, actually I like, I do think it's rotten, even though maybe like the way you dis- misunderstood my words, where Rotten Tomatoes can then go back and change it. The percentage is based on the percentage of the critics who mm-hmm. either felt positive or negative about the film. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. If they feel fresh about it, then it's positive. If it feels, if they feel bad about it, it's negative. Um, there's a little bit of thing there. So like if there's a mixed review, that's kind of generally positive. It, it, it's the same as if somebody gave it a glaring five-star review. So yeah. like, if I think this movie is okay, I'm going to give it three and a half stars. And you think it's a five-star our our votes count the same as just good or bad. It's, it's yeah. two sides of a coin. A hundred percent rotten tomato score could technically just be a hundred people who think it's all right. a six out of 10. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, a mix of the two. 50 people who think the movie's a uh, one-star movie and 50 people who think it's a six-star movie, it's still just going to be a 50% on there, right? Which doesn't isn't really the math that you would think, but that's right. kind of how it works. So the way these percentages get described is there's rotten, fresh, and then they even have certified fresh as well. So rotten is anything below a 60%. So you notice it doesn't cut off right at five people. This means that six out of 10 people don't like this movie. Four out of 10 think it's decent is a 60%. Anything below that is rotten. Anything from 60 to 100 is fresh. Then if you get something that has over 80 reviews and is over a 70%, and of those 80 reviews, five of those are the top critics, that's certified fresh. Mm -hmm. They also do a audience score, which is different than the critic score. You, You talked about how you like to look at the difference between those. They do that with a little popcorn bucket. So a full popcorn bucket is a 60%. And they actually base that on whether or not a person gives it a three and a half or higher. So if you give something a three and a half or higher, so a three and a half, four or five stars, then that means it is a yes. And if it's three and a half or lower, then that's a no. 60% is where they do their full popcorn bucket. Anything below that is a little tipped over popcorn bucket. Um, you know, sometimes you get an interesting thing where you have a thing that says rotten for critics and then a full bucket of popcorn for the audience. The audience loves it. The critics hate it or vice versa. So we're going to actually get here in a second, you know, some instances where we think uh, there might be some issues with Rotten Tomatoes or some instances where it's really good and, and people don't understand. Absolutely. But before you get that, what, what are kind of, you know, me hearing it re-explained again? What do you what do you have to say about that? No, a couple of things. I think um, just in general, the rotten tomatoes format which you explained very very uh well but you say so myself uh <laughs> the basic of it for me is you know like you said at the top it's not you know a 97 out of 100 that's not the score it's 97 people saying yeah i think this movie's good or 97 people saying i think this movie's bad so I, that that's super important to specify because that's something i was not aware of until you know i found out yeah it was a long time ago, you know, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but another thing I do to point out with the audience score, um, it can be tipped a little bit. So um, if studios are a little bit worried, say, about a new movie that's coming out, you know, they spent a decent amount of money on it. Um, there have been movies, there's one in, in recent memory, I don't even know if you know this, but it was, it was Gotti starring John Travolta. And um, it had critic scores like before it was released to like i don't know 10 15 percent but its audience scores like 95 90 
And it was because the studio just hired people to go through Rotten Tomatoes and just continuously leave like good scores, good scores, good scores. So the system can be broken pretty quickly from the audience standpoint, but from the critic standpoint, it, it's a lot tougher. And um, usually that is the more um, like sound statistic to use. The audience can be, you know, a little bit wavy depending on the studio and or if there's a crazy fan base like for dc movies i think probably like the um batman v superman's it's probably like 90 percent too because dc fans are fucking crazy uh which i mean i'm a dc fan too but you know i don't give a shit about that stuff but you know Snyder fans is what you mean oh <laughs> hey we didn't even talk about that you know snyder yeah, we big, didn't big winner at the Oscars. <laughs> but, dude okay uh, pause really quickly okay. <laughs> the snyder cup was was the biggest thing on twitter the the entering the speed force was going to be the biggest meme of the oscars <laughs> until will smith did what will smith did deservedly so he beat I mean, out the speed for he beat out the flash <laughs> talk about a cheerworthy moment he beat out the flash entering the speed force baby the what a joke the that's the biggest cheer moment in all of movies did you know that cody yeah over the matrix come on that, that's easy money but uh biggest um, one in movies no i think you explained it very very well obviously and um the, the critic score you can probably keep going even into more detail just because um you know how much they put into it i think and you know the critics some of them you know the whole who are they where are they what kind of people are they that's not really determined much you know i think we're going to talk about it a little bit you know it's hard to judge movies and i think this statistic is a decent benchmark to judge some movies but obviously we will talk later about how uh, they're completely wrong on a bunch of movies too so yeah. it is hit or miss and it's why you get the the weird thing of like movies like uh citizen kane is it's like using all these old reviews from when the movie came out too and there's the thing like oh we've discovered a new review from some newspaper of citizen kane and yeah. it was bad so it just dropped a percent on rotten tomatoes which i think is a little silly sometimes yeah. and paddington 2 is 100 percent because that movie's amazing uh, best movie of all time isn't it what do you what are your thoughts before we get into this what are your thoughts on the fact that rotten tomatoes is owned by a company that sells movie tickets in fandango well yeah i mean obviously it's a it's quite a, a conflict of interest but i mean if you are gonna have somebody run it why not be somebody who's sort of is in the business and, and knows a little bit what they're talking about. Uh, Fandango in general, I think is, you know, not this big conglomerate monopoly like Disney or something like they are a little bit more down to earth. And um, like I said, it, it's not the best thing, but I just use it as a benchmark mostly for most movies. But I mean, yeah, Fandango, should they run it? Probably not. Are they a good choice? Maybe. I don't know. You said benchmark, and I think that's exactly how you have to use Rotten Tomatoes. You kind of use it as a starting place. Is this movie decent or not? I'm curious, are there any other sites or scoring systems that you kind of turn to or what's your typical go-to if you want to like, is a movie good or not? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough. Um, <laughs> I'm going to dive into this a little bit actually, uh, do my yeah, spiel. Let's hear it. But I think this is actually a very interesting topic on on how to rate a movie and there are a lot, obviously, a lot of different ways. Like the cap score? The cap score? What's that? There are rating system out of 69. Oh, that's a great cap. That's a great determiner of what yeah, the that's movie's going to be. Yeah, that's what the show's called. Cap. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, no. Out of 69? 
that's a hell of a scoring system. But I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of them. I'm just going to run through a couple of them real quick and get my thoughts on them. But obviously, the classic ladder box, five stars. Not a big fan of that one. I feel like it's a little bit limited. I think the bigger the number, the better here. Um, also, I, I don't know if you're a big YouTube guy. There's a couple um, movie reviewer YouTubers, and I really like their scoring systems. So obviously, there's a classic Chris Stuckman who – do you know who that is, Corbin? Chris Stuckman? Uh, I think I'm familiar, yeah. Okay, you don't know that. Basically, he's this big um, movie review YouTube guy, and he's actually making his own movie, which is very cool. And, I mean, they they, they just got donated like a million bucks to him to, to finish his horror movie, which is awesome. But his scoring system, he's like the classic movie reviewer guy. He just goes from, you know, the classic like school system, A to F, which I think is maybe one of the better ones because it gives you a lot of reach. Um, another... My favorite uh, YouTube viewer, Jeremy Johns, classic guy. Uh, his system, which I will explain briefly, it starts at the bottom with he's going to forget the movie in T-minus however many days. Uh, then it moves up uh, of this movie would be great if you're drunk. It moves up again to this movie is great, no alcohol required. It moves up again to I'd buy this movie on Blu-ray. And then the best one is this movie's awesome-tacular. Um I don't know if that's the best scoring system. He doesn't like it himself, but I love it. Um, and then obviously you have ours, uh, 69. You have, you know, Ebert's classic, you know, sort of like Rotten Tomatoes. Does he recommend it? Does he not recommend it? Um, I think there is no good system, if I'm being honest. There's, I mean, we, I, we made our own show, and we scored it as a joke, basically, because how do you score movies? I think probably the, the easiest, but probably the most boring is – you know, the ADAF system, I think that gives you the most reach. Even if you went out of 100, it's basically the same thing. But, I mean, that probably is the easiest way to score movies. But, I mean, from a Rotten Tomatoes standpoint, bringing me back to that, I mean, how can you really get a grasp of what, you know, 300 critics are saying about a movie other than have them rating out of 100 or go the old Ebert way and say it's good or bad? And I probably would have, gone, I probably would have zagged when they zagged. But I think it's still a good benchmark and it's something to use. But I mean, throwing it over to you, what do you think is it, like the best way to rate a movie that there really isn't one? I don't think. No, I don't. I don't think there's probably a, a clear good answer. Uh, I want to hit on Letterbox. I, I probably use that one most frequently because I just use that app a lot. I think the you have to be aware of the type of people that are using a service and also like what that means. And I think the type of people that use letterbox typically are people that really like movies right so you're getting like a average to mostly above average like movie watcher who's going to be rating these movies people that care about cinema and film maybe more on a higher level so that definitely plays into the type of ratings you see on there like why some movies are higher um the the other thing i like about letterbox is you can look at the actual like bar graph of where the ratings are so sometimes you might see a movie that's a 3.9 but it has a ton of five-star reviews and then like a lot of like three-star reviews where it's like this is clearly just like really loved by a lot of people but there's like no four and a half star reviews so it's not like it's it's not like anybody thinks it's close to a masterpiece it's either like oh this is an endearing like childhood love or it's just like mid-tier for you so i think you can kind of really like look at the the bar graph and get an idea of like okay who who does this movie appeal to okay there's thirty-three thousand people that thought it was 
really bad, but some people thought it was just okay. You can find a good middle ground there. Um, I think IMDb, if you want just like the the most basic movie general public, I think the IMDb star rating is probably the most general because it's just yeah. like the most widely known, but easily their ratings accessible. Are, their ratings are all whack, so... <laughs> Well, the IMDb top 100 is a joke. I'm not saying I use it, but you know, there's some <laughs> good films on there. Um, and then you also have Metacritic, which is used on IMDb. Yeah, uh, it's their meta score, and also in other places. Which I think Metacritic is actually what a lot of people think Rotten Tomatoes is. So if you if if people that are using Rotten Tomatoes now now realize, oh, this isn't what Rotten Tomatoes is, that is what Metacritic is. They literally take a score out of a hundred and then right. average it out and you get the score with what is the average score and it's out of a hundred so hey not bad obviously the cap score is a classic out of 69 i mean nothing yeah. better than that um i think you know what my favorite thing to do honestly is in comparison to other films i think that's yeah. a really and that's what i do for all of our cap movies yeah i have a list of all of them i rank it on that list and then i say okay i gave this one this that and that one this and I do that. I mean, I do that for all the new releases and, and, and I have a lot of these lists cause it really just helps me kind of get a gauge of like, did I like this better or worse than that? So, yeah, I feel like we do that a lot. Honestly, we, we compare a lot of the movies we've um, talked about before. I sort of have, I mean, I don't know how many times I'm going to say that we're benchmarking this, this pod, but I have that 60 point benchmark with all of those good movies around there, like Gone Girl. Uh, I mean, I, there's so many of them like in that 60, 61 range for me. Or it's like, is this better than these good movies? And if it's not, stick it in there because why the fuck not? But yeah, I, I completely agree. I think comparing each other movies is 100% one of the best ways to give it a rating. All right. And before we move on, we got to give shouts to the probably the most comprehensive list uh, that we know of. And, and the list is life over at, at the RCR. Shout out Carter's list. That, that dude's got like 2,000 movies in one list. <laughs> Listen, I, I don't personally, I wouldn't use it. To, as as a review system i don't know if i agree with a lot of the list but you could go on there and you could look at it see that, hey where does where does jaws rank spoiler alert something top top four all time so apparently so <laughs> no but i think that is super cool and that's a good shout just i mean if we made a list like that do you I don't know have the, the time. amount of time that goes into that so that's a that pandemic makes- project i mean that's why it's the only reason I mean, it happened so yeah yeah i mean yeah to be fair but Still impressive nonetheless. All right. Don't listen to the podcast, but good list. <laughs> First, we're going to do three movies that we think the Rotten Tomatoes critics score is wrong. And then we're going to do three movies that we think is right. Why don't you go ahead and kick it off? Give me your first L by the Rotten Tomatoes critics. Oh, they got some fat L's. Um, Maybe I we'll see if we have any overlap here. Okay. I, I do probably have more than three. Um, I, I got a couple. <laughs> But I'll, I'll save them for the honorable mentions. My first one um, is a fat L. And um, I'm taking it in the L maybe you wouldn't expect. Um, a high-scoring L. And this is a movie that I have talked about before. Maybe I didn't. I, I talked about it so, sometime. Uh, it's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. This is, on my, this is on my list as well for an honorable Oh, my mention. God. What an abomination of a movie. <laughs> yeah, because we did talk about because uh, we were talking about Shia LaBeouf and everything. But, oh, my, the uh, critic score to throw it out here is a 77% fresh, which is nowhere near even, you know. This is saying se- I 
pulled a recent screenshot, 78% certified fresh. Oh, there we go. Well, that's even better. Uh, I'll tell you what, Spielberg's got some pollen rotten tomatoes because this is a ridiculous, ridiculous score. Uh, I've gone on record before and saying this is a horrendous movie, should have never been made. Indiana Jones is an 80-year-old man. And let's just throw aliens in and Shia LaBeouf swinging around in the vines. You know, they nuke the fridge. I mean, you could go on and on and on with the bad amount of things in this movie. The villain's ridiculous. I believe it's Kate uh, Blanchett. Um, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, aliens. Why are they aliens? I don't know. There's no good answers really to any of these questions. And you know what? They're making another one. So fuck it. I mean, it's probably going to be the same amount of crap, the same amount of old Harrison Ford not being able to move. And it'll probably get like an 85 on round trails. But um, yeah, I think it's one of the biggest L's in, in tomatoes history and something they should be a little bit embarrassed about. Yeah. 53% on the audience score. Uh, I, I don't understand That's it. I don't know how 78 out of a hundred people think that this movie is, is good. So <laughs> I'm going to go in the opposite direction to get us started here. A movie that was kind of not, I wouldn't say ripped apart, but too low for mm-hmm. a childhood classic. Not my childhood, but in somebody's childhood. We got to go Space Jam, the classic, yeah. <laughs> classic Michael Jordan uh, led film, co starring well alongside Bugs Bunny and Bill Murray. Uh, 44% rotten. And I just think that's such a shame. What, you can't have fun? It's Space Jam. It's a good time. There's Bugs Bunny. There's the pig dude. There's the Martian. There's the pig dude. <laughs> Porky the pig. There you go. Um, yeah. In comparison, I, I pulled mm-hmm. up some other scores. 3.2 on Letterboxd. Not bad. I think, that's, I think that's decent. 59 on Metascore. Yeah. Eh. Fine. But at the very least, it's not Space Jam a new legacy, which has a 26%, deservedly so. A 79 audience score, which is insane for Space Jam a New Legacy. That might be Warner Brothers paying for some votes. Yeah. Uh, Space Jam a New Legacy, 36% on Metascore. So Yikes. uh at least it's not that. At least it's not that bad. But I, I don't know. I think uh what do you think? Shouldn't it have higher than the 40? At least give it like a 60. Yeah, I think it should be hovering around that 60 range, I would say. Um, I, I mean, you think there was just like too many people that were like mad their teams got beat by Michael Jordan in the 90s and they yeah, hated drunk. it? Like all the Philly <laughs> and Knicks, like the New York Riders, the Philly Riders, basically everyone Austin, except for Chicago. Yeah. Like they were probably, they probably just anybody at those big newspapers was probably just mad at Jordan. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, that is one of my childhood favorites. So, I'm going to be biased and say it should be fresh, but I don't know. It, it's not the best movie. It does have Bill Murray in it, though. And how is Bill Murray not certified fresh and, you know, in this day and age? But seriously, I back that. And uh, I'll continue along the trend of, you know, maybe movies being a little bit lower than they should. Um, and I'm going to go with an absolute classic. And again, one of my childhood favorites, National Treasure, baby. What this, do we is think also, National- this is also my number two. Yeah. What do you th- what would I think National Treasure should be rolling in at? I don't know. Maybe somewhere around the 70 range, 75, 80 if we're pushing it. You know, a family friendly, you know, just fun historical adventure with Nicolas Cage being a psycho. No. You know what it's clocked in at? 46%. Oh man. That's tough. Nick Cage, I mean, 
I don't know what else he's got going for him on Rotten Tomatoes other than National Treasure. So this might be like his, in his top five of, of best movies, to be honest, other than Face Off. Uh, Oscar award winning Nicholas Cage. Obviously, I mean, he's got the Oscar face, so you don't count those. Um, but I mean, obviously, this is a childhood favorite of mine. We've done it on, on the show. So if you've seen the episode, you know my opinion on it. But even for this kind of movie, I think it's ridiculous, though. Like, I don't know. It's it's a Disney just like fun adventure, excuse me, fun adventure romp with fun characters and, you know, historical context behind it. Cool action. Sean Bean's the villain. Like it has a good cast, but I don't know, man, the, the critics didn't like it for some reason. I think they're just Nick Cage haters. Rip. Do you know who Nick Cage's uncle is? Uh, John Voight. He's in no. the movie. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola. What's your boy? That's insane. I just learned that on IMDb. Oh. I didn't know that. Francis Ford. His Gold. name is his name is literally Sophia. His birth name is Nicholas Kim Coppola. I don't buy that. He's he is cousins with Sophia. Yeah. Was he disowned because he's an idiot? No, he changed his name to make his own path. No nepotism for Nick Cage, and it got him a forty-six percent on Rotten. I feel like Francis was like, "Yeah, you're not using her name if you're going to be in these movies." <laughs> <laughs> well, I changed it long before that. Uh, you took my number two, so let's go ahead and move on to your third pick here. All right. My third pick, um, I have a couple. I mean, also just to point out some other honorable mention comedies uh, that I think should be a lot, lot higher. Happy Gilmore, 61%. Kind of ridiculous is that low. Step Brothers, which is obviously a classic, 55%. That's ridiculous. And then I don't know if you've seen Spaceballs, um, but, oh, man, one of the best um, parody movies of all time. And it's before parody movies were fucking terrible. It's at 54%. Mel Brooks classic. Um, that's an abomination as well. But my third pick is actually one that I think is a fat L because it's way, way too high again. Uh, these are my favorites to, to go after. Not tomatoes. It is the motion picture of eighth grade, um, which is not a bad movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Not my favorite. What do you think eighth grade's at on Rotten Tomatoes, Corbin? 90, 92, 93. 92? It's in yeah. the 90s. I wouldn't be too mad if it's at 92. It's at 99%. It's in the top 10, I believe, of all time, um, whatever rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's fucking ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, like, like I said, this movie's good, but it's very well directed. It, it, it's well acted. It's super realistic. I don't think it gives off the, you know, emotional resonance or, or any sort of connection to the general, you know, viewerships to, to deserve that rating. I think it, it's kind of ridiculous. And there are a couple of movies, like we were talking about, like Paddington 2, which I mean, that's a very good movie. And so is eighth grade, but like they can kind of be. Does it realistically ap- appeal to that many people? I don't know. It yeah, is a great movie. Point. I love that movie, but but on Rotten Tomato standards, I think that's ridiculously overrated. So I'm giving it a fat L. Um, maybe you know not the biggest L of the night, but I think it's still fat L. Eighth grade garbage. Uh, I got another one that I think is way too low, and that's uh, 2004's Saw horror okay. classic. Jump started a genre. Where do you what do you think it's uh, Rotten Tomatoes score is? Since you're pretty, since you said it's too low, I'll say like 50, 50%. 51%. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's at, it is, and that is the highest of any movie in the Saw franchise. Um, 
it is the best one I will say, but I think having it at a 51 and then like even the next highest at a 40% is, and that's saw six, uh, is pretty crazy. Uh, I get that this movie can be decisive and I would understand why like an audience score might be low because like, you know, the body horror and the, the, some of the stuff definitely will not work with some people, but I think for a critical audience, like, I think it's a really super innovative idea. It was new. It was a fresh take on the genre. Um, and I think the fact that it's lauded a, a 51% is just a little ridiculous. I think it should be higher. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think it's, uh, like we were saying last other iconic. Iconic's the big word here. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, I mean, it jump-started a franchise. And, I mean, who hasn't seen that movie? Uh, I think it's one of the better horror ones, um, like a modern horror, at least. Yeah. And uh, great twist. I'm a sucker for a twist. So, yeah, i definitely back it. i put it in that 65, 70 range for you. I, I would guess that the twist is probably what loses a lot of people. It's a little unrealistic, but I don't know. It's still fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very fun. Got any uh, other honorable mentions you want to hit before we move on? Yeah, I got a bunch actually. Uh, um, I, I got I got one, so just stop halfway and I'll I'll, I'll hit it. No, we'll save it for the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one, another one, which is this one is weirdly high, and um, I didn't even fact check this. I just saw it on some website. <laughs> but Sharknado is evidently at eighty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know what the hell that's about, but that movie's not good in any any means of the word sure it's fun but 82 percent come on now maybe it just doesn't have a ton of ratings uh that's ridiculous another one i thought was too high the incredibles 2 is that 93 percent um i don't know i don't think the incredibles 2 is that good obviously on a rotten tomato standard that makes more sense of people would say it's a good movie or a bad movie because i mean it's just an incredible sequel what, what can you really expect from it but i think that's very high for that movie um and then a couple to end on that i thought were a little bit too low um obviously we talked about the prestige last week we talked about it's around tomato score 76 percent. it's ridiculous it's a fucking masterpiece um and then as well and a pretty newly released movie the batman uh, has an 85 percent around tomatoes which is respectable but i would like that to be much higher uh much higher than dark knight rises that's for damn sure but um, yeah, I think 85, I think the the audience score was hovering around like 82, which, you know, I, I guess it is more of a hit or miss movie. And um, some people just really don't like it, which I do see where they're coming from. I do have some issues with it, but I think visually and the storytelling of, uh, you know, just the story of Batman, the Batman, it's his movie. Yeah, I think it's awesome. But yeah, I thought those were a little bit too low, but I mean, we could cherry pick movies all day and say we like this one. It should be a little higher. We think that one should be a little lower, but those are my main ones. Yeah. I didn't want to get too much into the like, oh, I love this movie, but it's too low. I, I tried I to stick this. with like general uh, I love audience. This. Uh, here's a question. Mm-hmm. Stuart Little 2, where do you think that should sit? <laughs> I saw that. Isn't that at like 90%? <laughs> it's, at a, it's at 81, certified fresh. Hell yeah. I haven't seen it. I saw Stuart Little One and it was all right. But... Stuart Little One, classic. Stuart yeah. Little Two, there's a bird, there's a plane. <laughs> 41% audience score. Oh, man. <laughs> but well, for some reason, be... 80... we, we got to do the Stuart Little Two pot, I guess. I don't I know. So. But that's, uh, that's the last one I wanted to hit. So now let's move on to 
three movies where I, we think the critics got it right. I'll go ahead and get us started because it's one you're going to disagree with me on. And it's, mm-hmm. it's as old as the podcast itself. The Last Jedi. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Critics, critics got it right because here's the thing. Audience score of 42%. Critics score maybe a little high at 91%. <laughs> but what critics were able to see in this movie that I think a lot of the audience is not able to see, and we've done, we've done The Last Jedi thing so many times, but I'll hit it one more time. <laughs> for Not the last time, but I'll hit it again. The Last Jedi brought something new and interesting to Star oh. Wars that we've n- had never gotten previously. Oh, you're wrong, <laughs> it, it went in a different direction. It tried something new while it failed. That's not at, a good thing. At, just while it failed at some different things, it was refreshing, and it, some things really worked. And some things are really sick. And sure. I think the critics were able to recognize that instead of just being a bunch of weird little fanboys that whenever something goes wrong, they're going to go cry <laughs> and they're going to rate it poorly on Rotten Tomatoes because Brian Johnson ruined The Last Jedi. <laughs> no, shut up. Get over it, Star Wars fans. You're such babies. It's a great movie. <laughs> that was so bad. I I still to this day don't know how you defend it, but um, I mean that's that is very high. I believe the Force Awakens is higher. That's all that matters, maybe ninety three. Um, yeah, obviously the the audience score is the true teller there. But um, my first pick, and these are all going to be pretty positive uh, from me. Uh, just to throw all of these out at once, just all together is my first pick. We got. Moonlight, 98%. Arrival, 94%. And, uh, well, I guess just those two. What's my other favorite? Oh, The Prestige. They got the <laughs> Fuck off. But those two, I mean, 100%. My favorite movies, highly rated on, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. What, what does that say, Corbin? Do I know my stuff or, or do I know my stuff? One. I think Lady Bird surely has a high rating. I think Lady Bird's like 99%. SPV <laughs> <laughs> Gans probably decent. I'm sure Requiem's like 70%. Social Network is in the 90s, I'm That's sure. That's kind of 90s too, yeah. No, but my favorite movies are, you know, superior. That's Except for the prestige. Yeah, fuck, I guess fuck the prestige. But I tried yeah. to look something on Rotten Tomatoes. It's under maintenance right now. So <laughs> there's no fact checking happening the rest of it. Good thing we saved these in advance. That's great timing, yeah. <laughs> Um, give, me your, give me your second one yeah so my second one is it doesn't have an extremely high score but i think it has a respectably high score and it's a movie we've talked about on the podcast holes uh 78 for holes 76 <laughs> audience score so it has uh it's kind of right in tune with what the audience likes and what the audience thinks of it it is certified fresh so it does have that 80 plus ratings and the five top critics uh yeah holes is just a, a family fun like it's a decent movie. Uh, the, the critic consensus is faithful to its literary source. It's imaginative, intelligent family entertainment. I agree with that completely. I think it's spot on. I think, you know, there's some people that aren't going to like it, but I think 78 out of 100 are going to really appreciate this movie where a man sells his onions and then gets killed. I can fix that. Not as tomato, so. I mean, if you're telling me Holes is better than National Treasure, you're full of shit. <laughs> your list is i you I do think it's better it. than national treasure I've, your list could have just been what uh rotten tomatoes got wrong on my list so fair enough i i do back you don't think honest. holes deserves a 78 percent? no no i put it at 55 tops oh my uh, God. <laughs> uh moving swiftly on um 
we'll just continue the theme of movies we talked about on the pod. And I think uh, one that Rotten Tomatoes 100% got right is Booksmart at 96% certified fresh. Hell of a movie and proved Gorgon wrong once again with the critic score. But uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's bang on. I think it's, uh, like I said many times, modern comedy classic. If it's not in that 95 upward range, I think that's an abomination. And I think they got it bang on. My last one is a horror film from Jordan Peele, but it's not Get Out, which is also highly rated. Us. But it's, yes, his other film, Us. <laughs> and the, the reason I specifically chose it is because its audience score is pretty low in comparison. Mm. So it's a 59% audience score, which does mean that the popcorn bucket is tipped over. Wow. And it's a 93% certified fresh for the critic score, which I think is much more accurate. I think while not as good as get out by any means because i mean how do you really live up to that <laughs> it's it's if he had made a movie better than get out then i don't know what to say um but it is a better horror movie than get out i would say uh it's got a pretty good twist at the end it's got a phenomenal acting performance at its core from lapita nyong'o also great support from the children i don't know their names but winston duke is also great as her husband and even the uh the white people that get killed are pretty solid too whoever plays them just a a fun scary movie an original idea from an up-and-coming director i think the fact that it has a 93 percent is fantastic and i don't know why the audience hated it that's interesting honestly i wonder why it was uh tips that way but yeah definitely good pick um and then, you know, for my third one, I just have a bunch, bunch of I'm going to randle off here. Um, Casablanca, 99%. Classic. Very, very good movie. Deserved. Guardians of the Galaxy, best MCU movie, 92%. Love that. Love that from Rotten. And then last one, just to continue the Batman theme, Dark Knight, 94%. Um, I think on most of the upper echelon movies, in my opinion, Rotten Tomatoes does do a very good job of hitting it on the head in the 90s. And um, yeah, all of those I just back 100%. So classics all around and um, definitely check them out. Any final thoughts on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, you know, I think, like I said before, something I use and something that is useful uh, just for general, you know, movie knowledge and sort of the, you know, the, the classic fight of good versus evil. Um, you know, tomato, tomato whatever you pick Corbin, he kind of, you know, has the sense I think of, you know, what is a good in a movie, what is a bad in a movie. I don't know if I'd make him a critic for Rotten Tomatoes. Hell no. But um, I think yeah. maybe that's, I think this is the end. Now listen, I'm titling this episode exposing Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if we exposed them or not, but this like is also, it. it's also our plea. Make us Rotten Tomato critics. <laughs> That's true. What we if, actually what if, we have to. It's two years. We have we have another year of this before we can get there. What if we publish? Does this count as something published? I think so. Yeah. I don't know if it has to be written. What's the word. criteria? We have the written word's dying. Uh, you just have to do it consistently for two years. I think that was really about oh, it. Oh, well, we're like a year in already. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. One more year, and we're they can put us on there. We could have our oh, own. Dude, certify us. Why would they not? Honestly, though. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We could be one of three thousand. That's easy money. How much you get paid for? Uh, ooh, I think it's kind of like crowdfunded, open source. <laughs> like there's not really a paycheck involved. I was looking to go full time. That's tough. Let's move on to We Have a Podcast. <laughs> um, 
we're going to do something a little bit different this week. Uh, hopefully Rotten Tomatoes is back up. It looks like it's working on my phone. We're going to see. Uh, we might have to pivot here. I've drawn a few different cards from the blockbuster movie game. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip them over and I'm going to look up its Rotten Tomatoes score. And then we're going to just give our boom bang reaction if it's good or bad or, or, or right. Uh, first one, animated film Sleeping Beauty. Let's see if it's on there. I don't think I've ever even seen it. You've never seen Sleeping Beauty? Oh, here it is. 1959. I found it. Okay. <laughs> it's this film. You've never seen this? I, I know this, you know, the story and everything. Okay. I... <laughs> 1959 Sleeping Beauty is our first pick. It is certified fresh at an 89%, 46 reviews, and it has a 80% on the audience score with over 250,000 ratings. Cody, what do you think? Sleeping Beauty, did they get it right? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, what's the story here? Is this, this the one where the, you know, the princess kisses her and then she wakes up? What, what's the rest See, of the I always get Sleeping Beauty and Snow White confused. Yeah. Um, Wait, does that happen in Snow White? No, there's like an apple it, in Snow White and there's dwarves. Both. Yeah, I know. I've seen Snow White. I've not seen this movie, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I think I did when I was a child, but not I don't know much. anything about it. It was probably all the way back in 1959. This is what the critics say. This mm-hmm. Disney dreamscape contains moments of grandeur with its lush colors, magical air, and one of the most menacing villains in the Disney canon, which is Maleficent, which they did make those movies. Or no, that's Snow White. Uh, no, I don't know. Mm. no i think it is maleficent yeah yeah maleficent's a villain because she turns into a dragon at the end right oh see that there you go you've seen it next film yeah. it was in uh it was in the game of life disney vision <laughs> <laughs> next film is kill bill from director okay. quentin tarantino kill bill volume one starring uma thurman uh lucy Liu, among others five percent on rotten tomatoes 237 reviews mm-hmm. and 81 percent audience score over 250,000 ratings did they get it right i think they got that one pretty well right i think um 85 it's not tarantino's best but it is a very good movie i think and um i'm interested to see what is that all kill bill or is there kill bill volume two because i feel like that one might be a little bit lower obviously the the fighting and you know the iconicness of the bride in the first one, I think, um, is what sets it apart. Eighty-four uh, percent for volume two, so really? higher higher audience score at eighty-nine, though. So pretty even though, which is interesting. I I prefer volume one, if I'm being honest. But yeah, no, I I think that is a pretty accurate score and something I would back. Can I be honest with you? I've never seen either Kill Bill movie, so really, yeah, just uh, haven't haven't gotten there in oh. the Quentin Tarantino rewatch. I, I've heard I've heard good things. Good this next card is a favorite of yours. It says Star Trek, and you get to pick what Star Trek property we're looking at. Oh, come on. You already know. Star 2000, Trek 09, baby. 2009? What, predict. What do you think its Rotten Tomato score is? Uh, probably 90. 94% for Star Trek 09. Let's go. Let's hear it up for Chris Pine. Uh, 353 reviews, 91% audience score, over 250,000 ratings once again. You're a big fan of this movie, Cody. Let's I am a massive, massive fan. Of this What's movie. up with the Vulcans? <laughs> the Vulcans, they're dead. Their their planet got destroyed. Um, I don't think you've seen this movie. But I saw it in 2009. <laughs> I did not see it in 2009. I saw it like 2015 for the first time. But um, 
oh man what a good movie such a great cast and such a just reimagining and such a cool plot point it's the classic reboot of just throwing them you know into a completely different story uh with these characters you love already but i mean oh my dude it's literally a star wars movie before star wars was cool again like this is the best of the new trilogy just star wars um i I say it's better than the force awakens by a lot and um a lot of fun you know a lot of spock a lot of kirk is zachary is zachary quinto a good spock He's, he's definitely a good Spock. My bet, my favorite part of the movie is the rela- relationship between Kirk and, and Spock because they hate each other's guts for half the movie. Um, but it really does turn into a, a genuine friendship, I think, and, and something that's pretty cool. And the supporting cast is awesome. I mean, Zoe Saldana, Simon Pegg, I mean, Carl Urban. You can go on and on and on. Uh, such a good cast. Great direction, I think. I like the lens flares. Very cool visually you know, uh, a menacing enough villain and uh, pretty pretty cool scenes and just super iconic as well, I think. Fire everything! Chris Hemsworth at the beginning, dying. Uh, I mean, dude, there's so much good in this movie. Old Spock, Leonard Nimoy g- gives a, you know, fun performance. So much to talk about, but yeah, I think that 94 is 100% deserved. Now, the other movies you're not as big of a fan of, correct? Well, I'm, t- I'm talking like Into Darkness and Beyond. Oh no, those were well. No, Into Darkness is god awful and eighty four percent Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, Star Trek Beyond is, is decent. Eighty six percent Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, no, Into Darkness is is terrible, terrible cinema. And that deserves, I'd say, around like the forty range. But yeah, no bad, bad stuff. <laughs> Our last movie. With the, uh, I did not plan this. It's Pulp Fiction. Oh, so we I get we get double Tarantino. 96 97 also going back to the oscars they did a weird uh 28th anniversary celebration yeah it doesn't make much sense strange I don't know why. uh they were just trying to get i mean john travolta uma thurman and samuel L. jackson on stage together yeah. i guess i think sam he, he was accepting some other awards well he won that. yeah he won like the governor's award for like lifetime achievement yeah. which is cool shout out sam jackson for getting an yeah. oscar very cool but they're not, probably, not televised either but yeah they're they talking about let's, it let's get this guy on stage and might as well bring back pole picture because that's his, his best movie probably so i guess weird 92 percent with 108 reviews <laughs> and a 96 percent audience score once again coming in at over 250,000 ratings paul fiction paul fiction great film yeah no i think that's definitely accurate and um yeah maybe it could be a little bit higher but i think the audience score uh, probably balances that a little bit so yeah i think that's bang on all right let's move on to our recommendations what have we been into i drink your milkshake i drink it up cody we can finally have a survivor talk i'm <laughs> caught up let's hear You're it. All caught up. um uh, yeah three man, episodes ep- in episode three was actually pretty good um I think the first two episodes I was pretty vocal about. I wasn't a massive fan of. Uh, sort of just a slow start to the season, I thought. But and a lot of repeating the same stuff we saw last season. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, episode three, wild man. I is like even I was confused on what the hell is going on at Tribal. There's so many people who you know lost their ability to vote, and they're still splitting the votes. It seemed. Um, but it actually turned out to be a pretty good move from whatever the main guy's name was. What's his name? Like Dave or Eric or 
something, something stupid. Daniel. Sure, Daniel. <laughs> I was close. Dave. Um, he made some enemies, though. I tell you that. He did. And it could be a good move. It could be a bad move because surely there's a swap coming. And if he gets swapped with the right people, he's fine. But if he gets swapped with Mike and um, that girl who he clearly back, backstabbed at Tribal, um, he's probably done so. But yeah, Chanel, that was a. Chanel. I like Chanel. She's actually a pretty good character this season. But I mean, if we keep this tribe for a couple more uh, votes, I think he positioned himself beautifully because he specifically drew the lines in the sand and said, you know, I'm with you too. So, I mean, good move, I think, honestly. And I don't know if it was exactly planned out gameplay from the start because I was confused on how the vote was even going to turn out. It, you know, even after they rebooted, I was, I was like, what the hell's going on? But I thought the conversation at Tribal was very cool. I thought for a second they might actually draw rocks, which is great television. So even that being like in play, I thought was very cool. But yeah, the third episode was by far my favorite of the season. Yeah, I think it was the best. Uh, interesting challenge. They had to yeah. quit the quit the challenge and and move on because they couldn't complete it, which is crazy. Uh, the one tribe only competed it because of the huge motherfucker just drug everybody through the water which is insane shout out jonathan yeah uh that dude's a crazy that that i think that's probably my favorite tribe that orange taku tribe is is the most interesting to me uh i think it's tough that first guy who had to get medically medically evac that was really strange and unfortunate for them at the beginning and then the first person they vote out is indiana mom herself mariah so indiana no no love on survivor this season (laughs) I agree. I think their tribe is character-wise by far the, the best. Um, yeah, episode one, I, I really liked um uh, I don't remember their name, but I thought that character Jackson. Super- Jackson. I don't know why they let them out on the island if they knew that they were taking medication and they didn't want to take them off of it. Strange, but... It was weird. Good char- yeah, good character nonetheless. And um, yeah, Mariah, I mean, she was literally... What? Her, her brother was... Uh, one of the nurses who I think it was the first nurse who the first nurse who died in COVID. Yeah, that's man, crazy. that is tough getting voted out on Survivor, and that's your story. But yeah, There's... I would have liked liked seen a lot more for. But that tribe is awesome. I mean, you got Marianne, you got Jonathan, like you said. The other guy's very cool as well. I forget his name. Omar. Omar's cool. Omar, yeah, love and that the, guy as and well. And then Lindsay, you yeah, know, she's fine. She's all right. Omar's got a really cool story as well. But yeah, Jonathan, I mean, once the merge comes, that dude's done. So he's got to win every challenge or he's gone, I think. But yeah, definitely a good tribe. Uh, there's some weirdos too. <laughs> there's, some, there's some interesting I, characters. I really like Marianne. I think she's obviously going to be very polarizing, but I think she's really funny. <laughs> she's wild. She's wild. She's not afraid to be herself at all, which I think is cool. A lot of youth out here too. So. Jeff wants he wants like 17 year olds on the show. Jeff's a psychopath, but uh don't go on Survivor if you're like 17, 18. It's gonna mess with you. But yeah. Anyway. Right. Anything <laughs> else? Any other recommendations? Anything you've been into? I do one other thing, obviously. Uh, you know, we'll keep up the Game of Thrones talk. Uh I'm about halfway through season six, and um the season's been great, if I'm being honest. Last season, it started off slow. It, it, it it came along pretty quickly though obviously Jon Snow a uh, couple daggers to the heart uh, one from a little kid didn't see that coming uh, 
but you know he's he's fine he's, he's john snow he's not gonna die and then not come back right so, yeah he would never die and then he just hangs the little kid so you know revenge i guess but still dumb um also stannis see ya he's gonzo uh bruce bolton see ya nice knowing you uh the lannister's other daughter who's on dorn see ya nice knowing you uh and then yeah cersei lannister uh you know her her walk through the town uh you know not the fun one not the funnest watch dude it, it, i'll tell you about this last season they had a couple scenes where it was like um you know game of thrones obviously you had the the red wedding and you know that's the big thing of oh it's gore it's you know it's not for everybody season five man it had a couple scenes where i was like jesus like i mean i know i'm uh you know i'm dead inside and everything but this is tough watch uh you know sansa on her wedding night fucking tough uh cersei walking through the street everybody just throwing shit on her when she's naked fucking tough dude tough stuff to watch and you know the camera it's not gonna cut away it's it's gonna sit there for a while but um definitely good season i mean Tyrion and uh the spider and, and marine is so fun and uh taking khaleesi back to the the uh dothraki i think it's super super cool choice as well just get everybody in fucking Westeros. if i'm being honest it, i don't know how many seasons it takes for everybody to get together but let's go george r pick up the pace but only i mean only a little bit left now right i know i mean better get better get kicking here but uh yeah john snow's finally even castle black so you so get him involved with the war i'm all over it, man i'm gonna be finished with this shit probably in a couple weeks <laughs> <laughs> can't wait for you to move on to something new like <laughs> that, that i care about i'll have new wrecks eventually yeah i uh I've been in, I've been watching stuff, man. I've been back on the, the, the watching grind. So oh, yeah. got, to, got to check out turning red, uh, the Pixar film. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's decent. That's what I'll say. It's, you know, nice. not bad. Decent little fun, little coming of age. Uh, Disney said, Hey, we're going to make a lot of period jokes and they, they did it. So good for them. Um, the Adam project on Netflix. I watched that uh, part two of three of the, ryan reynolds and uh whatever that guy's name is trilogy that they've decided they want to make together that's going to culminate in deadpool uh what are your thoughts on that i don't even know what you're talking about was the director like sean levy sean levy they made free guy together and then they made the adam project and sean levy is now going to direct direct deadpool 3 as well and they're going to have a little ryan reynolds trilogy i didn't know he directed um the adam project yeah that's cool i mean if you find a director you, you like working with might as well keep doing it. I back it. Yeah, I think free guy. I, I obviously I spoke pretty highly of it. I also rewatched that, so I got myself a little Sean Levy double header there. Uh, it it's not as you know it's it, it it's decreased on my list a little bit, but I still appreciate the movie. Adam Project I just thought was kind of like a boring sci fi film that like has been done plenty of times and was predictable and it was just Ryan Reynolds playing the same character for the ninth time. And when it was the seventh time, it wasn't too bad. But when it was the eighth time in Red Notice, it was like, yeah, I'm kind of over it. And then when it's the ninth time in the Adam Project, you're like, please just move on and do something different. Like, just get a fresh, <laughs> like, Ryan Reynolds, you can come back. You play play this character again. You can be this person in real life. But, like, just do something a little bit different for once. Uh, I also watched Windfall, which is the the Jesse Plemons and Jason Segel and um, Lily Collins little movie on Netflix. 
definitely a quarantine film filmed in one location. There's only four people in the entire movie. Just kind of a strange little film. Uh, again, mid-tier. Barely better than The Adam Project. <laughs> Netflix, you got to do better. Also watched My Best Friend's Wedding, which uh, obviously Mina was quite excited to watch with me. I thought it was bad. <laughs> Not a good oh. movie. <laughs> Julia Roberts maybe plays the worst person in like the world. Yeah. Everybody, everybody in that movie sucks. It's just like awful people. Um, except uh, for like one character. And it's her friend, George. So shout out to George. And then... One of my uh, favorites, by the way. Classic. Sorry, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I did it before the Oscars. Drive My Car, the three-hour mm. epic Japanese film. I gotta say, it's good. You should check it out. Uh, it's definitely slower. It's, a, it's very dialogue heavy. Um, but what it really is at the end of the day, I mean, it's a movie about grief, but it's, it's a character study. And I think I, I realized in watching this movie, I love like super unique and complex characters that feel extremely real. And when you have three hours, you have plenty of dialogue to, to, to really achieve that. But like every, like you, it's just like the things people say is like so surprising. It's so unique. And it's like, each of these humans has their own intentions and their own goals and their own sorrows that they're bringing with them. And Drive My Car does a really great job of fleshing out multiple characters and beyond even just the one at the center of it. Um, it. It does this really weird thing where it's about the first 40 minutes and then you get the title card. Um, so if you do want to break it up, you could watch kind of the first 40 minutes as kind of like your prologue. It kind of introduces the character and then this main event happens that then spurns the rest of the film. Uh, so if you if you do need to break it up, listen, I think you should just put your phone away and watch it all, all at once if you can. But if you do need to break it up, you could watch like the first 40 minutes and then watch the next 220 after that. Um, and then finally, Atlanta season three, it's back finally after like four years of being off the air. Uh, the Donald Glover and Stephen Glover and, and Hiru Mak- uh, Makio. Uh, film, uh, TV show Atlanta, it's fantastic. They started the season with this one-off episode based on a true story uh just just this crazy surrealist shit and nobody's doing tv like atlanta does tv so you should check it out and uh, genuinely funny genuinely funny good reaction baby all right it's been a long one rotten tomatoes you've been exposed the oscars <laughs> you've been exposed i was not exposed nobody else has exposed. been exposed <laughs> Thanks for capping with us. We're going to have a little bonus episode for you this week. So, cause we just love you guys so much in springtime. Yeah. So check it out. It and uh, let us know what your thoughts on Rotten Tomatoes are. Peace. Thank you. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.